hello and uh, welcome to our third edition of Groovecast, the podcast for the rhythm section. Um, this week we're going to be talking about uh, a bit of a different subject, we're going to be changing tact here and we're going to be talking a little bit about gear, aren't we, Charlie? We certainly are, so you know, I think it's something that a lot of musicians and especially us who do it for a living uh, are very um, picky about, or, or at least considerate about, of, of, of our sound and you know to an extent how we look you know on stage if it's a and how and what gear we need to to get us the work that we want to do i think is 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 a mm. a key part of of the job if you like yeah and uh, we're going to be covering a few different uh, subjects uh, to do with gear uh, but i thought it would be a nice uh, way to ease in um to talk a little bit about uh our own sort of ideal uh, instrument and what we look for when we go to a, uh, uh, you know, a drum shop in your case, or a guitar shop, or what you're looking for in it. And uh, so, what do you look for in uh, in your drums? Yes, yeah, so I mean, for me, it's all about sound. I've, it, you know, I mean, fundamentally, it's got to sound good. Whatever I'm looking for, whether it's a snare drum, cymbals, anything like that, it's got to sound good. That's the the root of of everything that that I do uh, as a musician, um, and for me that would be, you know, even if it's whether it's vintage or or modern or new or whatever, the sound's got to be right. So if I'm looking at, say for example, a snare drum, if there's three identical snare drums, say they're all from different vintages, you might have a sixties. Uh, aluminium snare, a seventies aluminium snare, and an eighties aluminium snare, just out of out of comparison's sake. If the sixties one sounds the best, that would be the one I'll buy, even if it's the most beaten up looking, old looking, whatever. That would be the one I would go for. Even if the they say, oh, you know, the eighties one's pristine. If it doesn't sound as good as the sixties one, I ain't interested. So that's mm. kind of what I I would definitely go for. You know, I mean, I love a bit of a, a little bit of aging if it is a, a vintage piece, a bit of character on there. Um, but you want something that's going to give you a variety of sounds as a drummer. So whether it's you can change something with the the different heads or different tuning, dampening, or any of that, or just um, just in the way that you play a certain drum can can change the way that it, it would sound so you want some for me it's something i want with with a great sound but also really really versatile um and that's something that can give me uh, a lot of options what about yourself mm. with the old bass <laughs> the old bass the old plank of wood um <laughs> yeah I'd, I'd say that's a versatility certainly um key for me uh in terms of uh the layout of it or the make um, and what goes into it uh, I'm pretty particular in um, maple necks uh, I like um, I mean in bases you're paying for the wood really uh, and the material that goes towards it if you're gonna buy a base a starter base for a hundred pounds or 70 quid or something it's not gonna last you whereas uh, you buy a really nice maple neck fender jazz it's gonna last you your life really maybe it might need a bit of setting up again or something later down the line but um i'd say yeah for me uh it's kind of always been fender has been the benchmark i mean there's a lot of other great makes squire do uh 
great sort of fender more affordable uh types um but you know the fender jazz bass is one of the most versatile basses and i've i'm lucky enough to have one um and even though it's probably it might not be my favorite bass to use right now it's if i'm doing a gig and you don't know what uh is required if it's going to be five string or not my uh, fender jazz bass is a five string uh, you just know you're going to be solid with it. You can do the Motown. You can um, uh, mine. You can set to the front or back pickup. With you know the back pickup uh, provides a bit more of that Jacko tone and a funky thing. Um, and then if you set it to the front pickup, it gives it that more gritty Motown James Jameson style. So um, certainly Fender and uh, but the wood is kind of what I look for first and foremost and. Um, I don't have that many instruments. I'm not sure if you can see on the video behind me that don't have uh, wooden uh, necks and m mostly maple necks with a few exceptions. So that's kind of what I look for in a, in a bass. Um, and I think uh, you did mention uh, there the vintage gear and I think that's another topic we, we were thinking about talking about because there's there's a bit of controversy over the vintage and modern thing yeah i mean it's it's one of those things that the i think definitely the way that the industry has gone over the past couple of years that a lot of uh brands now are going for the the vintage modern stuff so they're, they're bringing back a vintage recipe but with a modern edge if, you know if you like if it, so it's mm. doing a classic but with maybe updating some of the the fixtures and fittings or, or whatever so i mean personally for me I, I tend to go for those those sort of vintage sounds and nine times out of ten if i want a vintage sound i'll use a vintage bit of kit you know i think that's just that there's something for me that some of the more modern vintage stuff just doesn't have and i think it's the age i think definitely the, the especially in drum shells wood uh ages and same with cymbals mm. they age and mature uh, over time and you know i mean with a bit of bit of tlc sometimes you can you can easily make a lot of vintage equipment more than giggable and more than roadworthy you know that that you know you you don't feel afraid to take it out in case or it's a bit fiddly to change a string or whatever i mean my working snare at the moment is a, a 1963 ludwig it just works you know I've i've done very little to it since i bought it but it just sounds great. It looks fine. It works perfectly, and it's really, really, really dependable. And so it, it just tends to be the the, the drum I, I go for. But looking at all the you know drum band brands, uh, are particularly been doing this lately, and I'm sure the same has been happening with basses that you get. You know, people like Gretsch have been putting the broadcaster uh, line out, which is their reinterpretation of what they were doing in the 50s and same with Ludwig's legacy which is what they were doing in the 60s and all of that and I kind of get I get why they're doing it because it does make uh those vi that vintage look and sound you know as close as you can get from from a modern shell uh, or a modern a modern kit but I think it just lacks some of the character and some of the um almost the originality that that the real McCoy has and I don't know how it is with, mm. with basses feel free to enlighten me <laughs> well it's kind of funny because um, again talking uh, with you uh, a few weeks back and 
um, you have actually brought this up, the whole vintage versus modern thing. And I wasn't really aware of, I mean, I knew of it, but I didn't know it was a massive thing of um, sort of uh, get making modern bases seem vintage by um, relicking them and, and sort of, uh, yeah, um, and trying to make them seem like 60s bass and stuff. Uh, from my point of view, it's um, I've always just tried to get the best gear that I can, um, and certainly with fenders, it's, it's with electric bases and fenders, you kind of got a clear line of um, what that is and, and what you're getting out of it. Um, so I can understand the uh, the vintage thing, and like you say, um, in those days it was just a different the material they used, especially. It, it 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 was you could have a base that would last you forever whereas the difference now with um, making the modern stuff seem vintage is the materials just aren't really the same um and certainly in guitars and inside uh the nuts and um the washers they use and stuff they just aren't really they're not made of the same material certainly and they're not made to last as long because um unfortunately they they do want you to spend more money later down the line to repair stuff yeah um but it doesn't mean that you to say you can't get gear that's going to last you forever um it just means you might have to spend more to get it which is unfortunate yeah it's, it's um, what they call planned obsolescence i think of of they yeah. they make things to to last a while but not a lifetime i mean it's the same with mm. if you look at an iphone it's like you you buy a brand new iphone and that'll be brand new until they release another one in about six months' time, yeah, and then and that's uh, what they rely on to keep business, because mm. otherwise we'd still all be um, using exactly what we had ten years ago. Yeah, <laughs> um, but in terms of the vintage thing, um, I'm definitely not adverse to that, and because um, uh, I think the first proper bass I had was a Fender P bass, um, and it. Um, I know one of the other things we were thinking about covering was the collectors uh, thing as well and, and people who sort of just buy gear to collect it, which I'm sure we'll cover later. Um, but this is a bass that was owned by a collector um, and was never played. It was pre-owned and sold as a pre-owned bass, but it was never actually played. They just bought it and stuck it in a cabinet for a couple of years. Um, so it was it was virtually new um, and it's, it's a vintage bass. Um, uh, I think it's a '64 or something. It's it's a James Jameson bass, um, and it's great. And that vintage sound. I've got a Hofner bass, and you can't beat that vintage sound, especially for those gigs. The gig, quite a few of the gigs I'm doing at the moment require that Motown uh, gritty sound. And like I said, the jazz bass can do that. But if you have a P bass and you know um, that's most of what you're going to be playing, then um, you can't beat that sound and um and I even i play with people and they don't usually notice you know if you have a new bass or the, your sound really and they know that they like it but they don't know the specifics behind it but um the people that i play with at the moment when i brought in my sort of james jameson bass they thought it was brilliant so yeah well that's um, that's what you want and i think it I, I don't know if you feel the same but when you sometimes are playing that instrument that's that's maybe period correct or or accurate to the sound it makes you play differently you know you definitely you you kind of get into that headspace a lot more because it feels natural to play probably how mm. how you're playing you know if i'm playing on a jazz kit say 
uh, an old uh, an old Slingerland jazz kit, for, for example. I'll probably play it a little bit differently and feel a little bit differently to how I would play it on a modern rock and roll kit. You know, it's 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 just a different vibe and and kind of mm. I think it definitely for me anyway it has a, a a generally a positive effect on 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 your sound and your touch almost on 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 the instrument. Mm. Yeah, it's it's funny because um, uh, James Jameson had a thing um, where he would I think it was partly to do with the fact that he played upright bass as well, but he would only use his first finger to pluck the strings he wouldn't use two fingers um which is something i've been taught to use two fingers obviously and to make it more proficient but when we're playing that motown stuff and if i am playing my fender p bass i tend to try and use one finger just because it does make a difference to the sound and like you say uh playing it differently it, it does actually make a difference to the sound and, and make it more um the sound of that time yeah and i think it's to one extent how you play uh, is 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 more important than what you play as far as instruments, because I think that has mm. a, a much more uh, a, a much greater inference of the sound that you're getting is through the technique or the the way that you're you're putting that through whatever instrument it might be. So if you play, I don't know, if you're playing one fingered on a, I don't know, a, a squire starter bass, it'll still mm. sound more towny, you know, because it's you're putting that kind of technique through it you know mm. so whether it whether it sounds as good as a p bass or whatever is irrelevant it'll still have that almost correct vibe uh coming through <laughs> that you're playing it the almost the way that it was done originally mm. yeah and from the other point of view the sort of more modern um gear um because i mean i I wouldn't class myself as a gearhead in any way, shape, or form, but um, um, I know what I like in a bass, like like I said, and um, I mean, since I've kind of been into the Wolfpack thing and um, uh, Snarky Puppy and that funky stuff, um, I've just and also uh, Marcus Miller and the Slap side of things. I've always wanted a Music Man Stingray and again a couple of years ago i was lucky enough to get one um from one joe base in london if you're ever down there it's always worth a visit um <laughs> but uh yeah uh so um but i was lucky enough to get one of those and in terms of the modern sound um again it's not as versatile as the fender jazz bass so i wouldn't be able to use it on every gig but um and it's actually uh being repaired as we speak but um if it was uh, available to me now I would certainly be playing it and um, in terms of it's kind of strange the Fender Jazz Bass is great and I love playing it um, but as soon as I got that music man it just felt right when I when I got it in the shop and um, I played it a few times before I had to get it repaired and before the pandemic obviously it was kind of uh, needing repairing at the start of the first lockdown to be honest so um, but I managed to get it out for a couple of gigs and it, it was almost like it enhanced my playing. I think you have to be a good, it doesn't matter if you have great gear, you have to obviously be a good musician playing it, but it did almost feel it gave me more confidence to fly up the neck and and um, just have a go at stuff that I wouldn't usually do and I just try and 
keep it solid or um but no so from the modern point of view that's kind of the modern gear that i have and i mean it's kind of not a great example of the materials because it has been needing fixing for a while but um other than i think it was just a, a wiring issue but other than that it's a great piece of kit and um if you uh if you sort of have the money and um you are able to get a music man i, I think they are a, a wonderful bass and um if you're into that funky stuff as well it's it's perfect for all that stuff yeah absolutely and i mean let's just bring it on to since we're now talking about some some of the uh, the modern stuff the whole um idea of relicking which i know is something we've discussed in the past and it's definitely something that's that's gotten a really uh, popular with with guitars and it's i don't think it's really hit the drum market um and i can understand why but um yeah mm. what do you what do you think in terms of would you buy or would you want to buy a brand new instrument off the shelf that looks 40 years old um well it it like i said before it really matters on um how it would sound like if i was playing i mean it's not the type of thing i would i'm not looking for a bass in general anyway so it's hard to sort of say that i definitely wouldn't um but i mean if it was just me um i would just if i really wanted a worn bass or a worn uh 60s bass and i wanted it to be worn i would probably just buy a used 60s bass but or alternatively just get your own gear and, and get some stories in it yourself and you know you're gonna get dings and get scratches on your gear yourself and um as much as it pains me when uh, i look at some of the scratches i have on uh, my bases i know that there's something behind it and i know where i did it as well um but it's kind of interesting because it wasn't i really had didn't know much about that until you enlightened me on it a while ago and yeah i don't really um it's not something i think i would go into a shop trying to buy a base that's new that looks kind of old. yeah it's, it's one of those things it's like i mean i think for you about from what you were saying you definitely wouldn't it wouldn't be something you'd look for but if the bass sounded right it wouldn't put you off it yeah exactly it's and and for me it's i mean as i said it's not really been a a thing in in the in the drum world as far as relicking i mean and i i do understand it because if you're going to buy go out and buy a brand new shiny drum kit you want a brand new shiny drum kit you don't want one that looks like someone's thrown a load of stuff at it and you know dragged yeah. it behind a truck or whatever because you you think well you know the minute you take that out of the house and say oh look at my brand new drum kit everyone will go what the heck have you done to it you know what, mm. what have you done to it since you just bought it because it looks a state and i mean i can understand that that, that that it can give a vibe and all that and, and i know a lot of people go for that that image thing but for me if you want a vintage sounding vintage looking bit of gear buy vintage you know nine mm. times out of ten you're going to get a better quality of product because as we said the materials back then were of you know and the manufacturing was, was superior to probably how it is now when things were done by uh, by hand or you know and a lot of care was taken uh, uh, into making them mm. rather than just a production line where they were just flying off the end at 20, 20 to the minute um, and I think for me that's that's where I'm at it's like if I want that sound if I want 
vintage cymbals, if I want vintage sounding snares or whatever, I'll just buy vintage instruments, you know. I'll buy what's mm-hmm. a- appropriate. And and I have done, you know. I mean, most of my cymbal collection is has come to me either used or vintage because I like that patina. I like it to have a bit of age, a bit of character. And nothing else for me sounds as good uh, if it's just come off the production line and they've put a patina on it in the factory because mm. there's a difference between doing that and having a symbol that's actually seen 55 years of use and you know being in and out of cases in and out of sweaty jazz clubs or wherever it yeah. makes a huge difference mm. yeah it certainly does and um um yeah it's it's just sort of a funny thing to me especially like you said buying sort of um a gear that's been worn and then you almost feel like it isn't new because it has been battered and that is certainly part of it although if it sounded good it wouldn't 100 percent put me off um i do like the gear to look somewhat decent before i've put some scratches in it myself (laughs) um and um yeah, it's just an interesting thing, and it'd be it's going to be interesting seeing how that progresses. And um, I think the people, I'd imagine the people that are going to buy that gear are, are probably going to be collectors, maybe who want to have a um, a drum or something that they feel has been gigged by somebody great, or a bass that they feel has been gigged by whoever James Jameson or Paul McCartney. Um, and uh, speaking of which. Um, I know that uh, you were t- thinking of um, covering the whole uh, collectors and and players and and the differences between that and um, yeah yeah what well. it's I mean I think uh, the, the 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 difference between them the the, the lines there are, are, are very very blurred you know you, you can't mm. really just say categorically so and so is a collector or so and so is a player because a lot of it you've got players who've got mountains of stuff you know I mean someone like Jeremy Stacy springs to mind as a drummer who's got a lot of equipment but uses it and and is always mm. seeking whatever new sound that suits whatever he's he's working on or whoever whoever he's working for and that I totally understand but then mm. you'll have those who buy the pristine stuff you know who who might who want you know one of every color that they did in 1962 or one of every every style that they made or you know the catalogue shops mm. or whatever and I think for me co- collectors tend to want the pristine stuff they tend to mm. want the it's never been out of, out of the case it's sat under a bed for 45 years and never seen the, the light of day that's very much a collector's item whereas mm. definitely in what they call player grade gear which is probably more where, where we look if we're, if we're looking for something of a certain vintage if it's got a few bumps or scratches on it, that ah, doesn't really matter because it just shows that it's been loved and used by whoever was owning it previously, you know, and it's it's had its life and it's still got what we want in there. And, yeah. you know, I mean, I think the other thing with, with being a, a player is that, you know, constant change is um, is is something that we don't mind, you know, if, if you have if you decide in five or ten years that you're going to sell a certain base and buy something different because that's what's 
that's what the fashion of the day is, you know, um, that's fair enough. Whereas a collector would probably hang on to it and somehow, you know, just add another base to the collection rather than saying, right, I'm mm. getting something new in, something that I'm not using can can go elsewhere and be used by someone someone else. Mm. And I think that's definitely a mindset that players have that collectors don't, where we, we don't mind letting go of things, you know, even if it's valuable, rare, interesting. If it's not getting used, you know, we've got to have some sort of justification among ourselves why we would want to have it. Mm. Well, that's actually funny because um, I think... I don't know if it's it's different for drummers because I was actually talking to a drummer the other day because um, um, I know that y- uh, you can be particular in, in what you like in, in your drums and in your gear. And he was saying that um, he's he's really not attached to his drums whatsoever and he's sold dr- he's actually accepted gigs and realized that he actually doesn't have a drum kit because he sold it because he was going to buy another drum kit and then it, it didn't sort of happen um and i mean for me it's um because being a player and i'm certainly not a collector and like i said i'm not a gearhead i've got the gear that i that i need and pretty much all the gear that i've wanted in terms of um I've got my the Fender Jazz bass, which is versatile enough now, and fingers crossed that should last me for for as long as I need it to. Um, but I, I mean, and like you say, I, there's not that much gear I have that I don't use ever. Um, I have a bass that I first had years ago, and I'd, I've never played. But again, I probably wouldn't actually get rid of, and it's not very expensive. But I wouldn't get rid of it, partly because uh, my dad keeps saying he wants to learn it. Uh, and partly just because it's kind of like my first bass and I don't want to get rid of it because whatever in the future somebody a family member might want to um play it um yeah and it's it's funny um like you say uh collectors that like to buy new gear and then never use it and um and then there's musicians who just collect gear but they are using it and I find sometimes that if you have a collector that does um, the P bass that I got was from a collector uh, that they sell they sold the bass back to uh, this uh, this bass shop. Um, it was actually as good as new, but the price was better. So sometimes you can get gear that's as good as new from them. Yeah, I think it's just about being in the right place and and having the right sensibilities about it. I mean, sentimental value is is always going to be way above monetary value so in in things like your your first base it's that's absolutely you know worth hanging on to for for all the reasons you mentioned and i do kind of wish sometimes i still had my first kit you know but that went mm. many years ago um to make way for something new and and yeah i think i think you can become attached to certain pieces of gear i mean there's definitely things that i've got that if i needed to sell tomorrow i would you know that mm. i'd have no issue with but there's other things that I think, you know, even if I'm not using them often, they're worth hanging on to just in case. Because you kind of know mm. that as soon as you would get rid of it, then something would come in and, you know, it'd be like, I don't know, you selling a violin bass, and then the following week, someone saying, uh, can you come and do a Beatles gig with us? Yeah. You know, that would be it would be just atypical of what would happen um, in the real world. So, yeah, I mean, for me, it's it's... I just try and have the right gear for the right sound at all times, you know, mm. whether no matter what it is, if it's 
as long as I can get every sound that I need to get out of it, that's what matters most. And I wouldn't dream of buying gear and then not using it. Because the first thing I want to do when I buy some new equipment is use it, you know. Mm. And that's been kind of annoying about the last year. I've, I've bought a fair bit of stuff and then being stifled <laughs> for using it. I can't take, you know, not being able to take things out on a gig has been tough. But at least I've had the, the facility of the studio here that I can, you know, I've had things come in and then go straight onto a session and, and, and sound mm. great. You know, things like um, I bought a flat ride recently, which for the non-drummers among us is a, symbol, a ride symbol that hasn't got um, a bell uh, in the middle of it. So it's got a very, very particular... Um, almost defined and, and articulate sound and you know I, I bought that on a bit of a whim just to try one out because I'd never never used one um, properly and yeah within about a week of that uh, coming in I think you'd sent a tune over to record and I put it straight on the session <laughs> and I got and I think <laughs> I, I used it for for four bars or something of, of that tune and and it was the right sound so it, it sometimes pays to be to have a little bit of foresight to think you know where would I put that if you know is it the sort of thing that if someone said we're doing a jazz trio would that be my choice or mm. would it be more of oh I'm waiting on someone to call me for a heavy metal gig which is fairly unlikely in which case it would be mm, is that worth having probably not but when it's mm. something that you think is going to come into your almost into your vocabulary of playing and something that you think, you know, if the if such and such a gig came in, which it might do, that would be the the way I would go with it, and that would be something that I would be likely to take with me. And that's that's kind of mm. where where I've come from as a player. Of yes, I've got a lot of equipment, and I'm definitely a gearhead, but <laughs> I think everything that I've got, I've got justification for. There's a mm. reason why I have it. And I can pinpoint exactly what in the diary I would take it out on, you know, or mm. or what I've been, you know, if I've had a gig come in for nine months' time, I think, well, that'll be ideal for putting such and such a symbol on that I've had sat in a case for 10 years and never used. And it's just, it's a bit, it, you know, it's a bit of give and take with stuff like that. And you do, the, you know, there does come a time when you think, I'm probably not going to use that ever again, then I'll sell it. But mm. when you've got things that you think, well, that could come into use next week or next month, then you think, well, mm. you know, for me, it's like, well, it's worth having, having, I've got the space to hang on to it, so I'll just keep hold of it. And, you know, I think it's definitely for players like us who who have changing, changing gigs all the time, you know, and different things coming and going, we're not just stick, stuck into the same, same shows week in, week out. I think having that that ability to to mould yourself around whatever you're doing is is is, is really key. Mm. I I think it's uh to be fair uh speaking of you mentioning there not having your first drum kit, I suppose it is a little bit different when you've got several different drum kits to bases. There's a bit more room yeah. involved. I think it, there's definitely more of a storage solution that's, <laughs> that's needed. But yeah, it's you know I've I've managed to to work it myself that I've got enough room for what I have and if I was to buy another drum kit tomorrow I would have to sell one that would just be the way it is mm. you know I've got at the moment I think that my count is five kits but yeah. they all have a certain a certain thing to them you know they all have a, a reason for being there whether they're the workhorse like this one I'm sat behind now which 
which mm. does a lot of a lot of gigs, a lot of sessions, or there's something a little bit more particular, like a nineteen seventies single headed concert tom kit, which yes, it's a bit more particular in sound, but there have been times I've brought it out just to do some overdubs on a track. You know, if I'm doing some big fills and you want a very Phil Collins or almost prog rock sound, doing an overdub with a certain sound or a certain kit will will give you that. And mm. it's it's definitely just about having that option that I you know if I, if I do get sent a bulk of work and someone wants that sort of sound, yeah, I've got that covered. You know, I'm not going to have to resort to using plugins or trying to do drum replacements or you know even just having it just saves me time because i've got that sound set and ready to go i haven't got to worry about oh i need to take the bottom heads off my kit change all the top heads tape up all the rattly tension rods or whatever to make it sound right i can just go to Mm. a case and pull out exactly what i need at the drop of a hat yeah it's uh also interesting um yeah, mentioning some uh, some of the gear you did there, and and um, and like getting the right gear for the right gig, and and not selling. Uh, you, like you say, you might have a gig next week that you need it for, so then you hang on to it. And um, when I used to be looking around bass shops for gear, and um, my dad always had a sort of not a saying, but um, I'd might be humming and har uh, humming and. Humming and haring. I don't think that's humming it. and haring. Um, <laughs> and um, uh, my brain's not working yet today. I haven't had enough coffee. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, I might not be thinking because I'd have the money for the base that I wanted. But sometimes you think, oh well, maybe I'll just wait till the summer or whatever, or wait a few months till I've got a bit more money. And then, and my dad would just say, like, if you know you're going to be, you know, you've got a couple of gigs coming up you know that might pay for that base you might just be scraping it a bit trying to get it now but you know if it's going to get gigged then and you really want it then you know you sometimes just have to put yourself out there and and get it and damn you know um, absolutely if, that's that's definitely the, the the mindset to kind of have i mean it can be it can be to your detriment sometimes but as long as you can justify it to yourself that the work that you've got in, in you know you're not just thinking i'll buy that and i might use it in 6 months time you think it's an immediate thing mm. of no there's things that i can definitely that this will be applicable to or it will sound right it will look right it will be the vibe that you want and that would be mm. absolutely the the mindset to be in i mean and it, it kind of brings us nicely to the to the the big question which i can i think i can sort of see the answer that you're going to give uh but <laughs> it's uh what would be the one piece of gear that you personally could not live without um a hairbrush no uh, <laughs> um uh probably the fender jazz bass i'd say just because of the versatility um and it's a five string as well and i don't have another i have a six string bass but i don't have another five string so i'd be a little bit uh in trouble if that went down so uh, what about yourself? Yeah, for me, it would definitely um, it would it would have to be the um, the maple Craviotto snare that I bought uh, in the last lockdown. I think that 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 drum's just got something um, something really special about it, and it's it's the sort of drum I could I would quite happily contemplate selling all of my other snare drums just to use that that one because it, it does everything. You know, it's it's the kind of snare mm. that that 
basically lives here in the studio and I've done plenty of sessions on it already and and it just it's it's so easy to to get to 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 corner it into the right sort of sound that I want you know if with it's got a huge tuning range on it I can take it way high or or bring it right down and and it'll it'll suit the um the projects that I'm I'm using it on perfectly, and I think it's also mm. as, as a drum goes, it's a very very microphone friendly drum. It's mm. it's it's resonant without being excessive. You know, it's got enough articulation, and um, yeah, it's just a it it's just a, a real workhorse of a snare. And it's um, as far as construction, it's a one piece maple shell um, made by arguably one of the 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 best drum craftspeople of the of the last century or so uh johnny craviotto and and that for me is is yeah it, it i could quite happily just use that for everything and and for most things i i, I do it's mm. it's it's a wonderful drum and um and yeah definitely the one piece of gear that uh if the house were on fire that's what i'd be grabbing <laughs> i think it's uh worth mentioning for anyone listening um if you are into gear and especially into um, sort of drum gear to check out Charlie's website because you do reviews on and blogs on there, don't you? On gear and from time to time, yeah, I I I have been known to to write about equipment now and again. Um, and yeah, um, it's 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 a subject that I think I I do tend to cover quite quite often. But it's 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 something that I'm passionate about, and I've got I think it's safe to say a fair bit of knowledge on. Um, yeah, through through different things and and through some of the people that I know. Um, I mean that whole Craviotto uh, snare that was something I was lightly pressured into buying by some some friends of mine, uh, 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 drummer friends around the world who said, "No, you you won't regret this." Because I was, as you said, I was I was hesitant when that because I thought mm, we're in a lockdown and I could really not do with spending some money, but. It was the right drum at the right time, and and with a bit of persuasion, I thought, you know what, this will. It's one of those snares that will pay itself back over and over again, and it has. You know, it's it's been a, a definite studio favourite, and it's something that I will almost certainly be taking on some gigs soon as well. Mm. And um, I know the last sort of thing we wanted to cover was mentioned sort of dream uh, bits of uh, equipment and. Um, sort of what's our dream rig and I, I wonder what your dream your dream rig is yeah I mean it's 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 definitely something I've contemplated um, you know in the run-up to, to recording this and, and it was something I thought long and hard about and it, it would probably be a maple DW kit because I just like the sound of those um, I mean a maple kit is is a classic combination uh, uh, as far as uh, wood types for drums and it would be the kind of kit for me that again I'd get everything I wanted out of. I think a maple DW kit with that Craviotto snare and some nice vintage sixties Zildjian's that would that would cover me nicely for just about anything. And uh, <laughs> I don't think I don't think I could find a gig that that wouldn't uh, that that wouldn't play perfectly on. Whether it would be jazz, funk, whatever, uh, rock, mm. it could it could just do the do the lot. So how how would you mm. think about it bass wise? I'm I'm guessing it might involve a Fender Jazz. <laughs> uh, maybe. Um, it's funny 
uh, I should mention this is our dream rig if money wasn't an issue, which is probably worth mentioning when uh, you yeah. speak about a DWK. <laughs> it, it is. It's um, yeah. This is this is a money no object. Uh, you know, win the lottery one day question. Yeah. Um. I mean, even with that, the the kind of three bits of gear that I've always wanted and I'm lucky enough to sort of have now um, were, I mean, it, it it depends with bass, obviously, on the gig. Uh, the jazz bass, obviously, versatile, but if, if it was a gig that I knew I could use my Music Man on, it would certainly be the Music Man Stingray. And um, uh, the only amp I've ever really been desperate for is a Mark bass. Uh, amp and um, again I got that from got one of those from one Joe bass um, but I got a combo so uh, and because before that I had a heart key amp which was brilliant it's just ridiculously heavy so um, the mark bass is just so compact and um, uh, I think that's certainly one thing bass players in the modern day and especially bass players that uh, in London who are requiring the tube and you know you need the gear that's it's going to sound great but it's also compact and light and the mark bass you can get so much they offer so many different uh, combos and uh, tops and and it's all really compact and light so for me it would be a mark bass amp and it's my music man stingray probably what a great choice and 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 again something that you could you could take on 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 many a gig and and not worry about you know would it sound appropriate cuz it's such a moldable thing, you know. Especially with a with a good mm. amp, you can you can always mold a bass with a bit of fettling into whatever, whether you want it to be bitey or attacky or a bit more tubby and yeah, uh, and subtle if you like. So yeah, I think yeah. that kind of uh, wraps up gear talk for today, which um, yeah was yeah really interesting, uh, really interesting topic and and very nice to hear. Uh, your thoughts as well so yeah that wraps us up for um for this uh, episode of uh, groovecast it was uh, great to get some thoughts on on uh, on your gear and hopefully mm. um it would be great to hear some of the the audience's thoughts as well you know feel free to to drop us a tag uh on facebook or instagram if you if you want to tell us uh, about your uh, favorite bits of gear or your dream rigs uh, do mm. go ahead yeah and uh, join us next time where I'm sure we'll have another interesting conversation that's absolutely sure <laughs> so we shall see you all uh, on the next episode of Groovecast thank you and goodbye see you later mm-hmm.